The base of my message is from the gospel just read to you. And Jesus said, but I tell you, but I tell you. Good morning. Greetings and peace in the name of Jesus, who is the Lord of his church, the Messiah of all. I'm sure that all of us have had experiences with businesses which weren't the most, how can I say it, effective. You ever walk into a restaurant and there's four employees talking to each other and for about 45 seconds you're like sort of standing there saying, yeah, can someone come please take my order? Or maybe you took your car to be repaired and there's grease left on the steering wheel and there's some grease on the floorboard. You ever had that experience? Or you just felt like somebody threw your meal together and said, here's a tray, go ahead and take it. Or you went to a movie that wasn't the most satisfying, or had a date that wasn't the best. We can all relate to experiences where we feel like we just got a minimum effort. I just wanted to get you in and get you out the door and really didn't care about the quality. Can you relate to that? A couple of years ago, my wife and I were traveling out west and we got a flat tire on Interstate 76 in Northeast Colorado. They said Interstate 76. And for 15 minutes, a car didn't pass us by. So I was taking off the flat tire, replacing it with a donut, thinking somebody would pass by. And it took me about 50 minutes, and there wasn't even a state trooper or a highway patrolman around. There was nobody on this interstate. Well, I just read on that very same interstate that someone broke down. But to their dismay, not only did they break down, but some people came by, beat him up, and took all his money, and there he is left by himself. But there is a school bus filled with Christian college football players. There's a Christian college football team, and they're on way back from the football game, filled with Christian football players from college, and no one stopped to help him. Then about 20 minutes later, there was another car with a priest, and he was going to give a shut-in, a communion to a shut-in who didn't live far away from where he was broken down and beat up. Just sort of looked at the man. And then there were pastors, four Lutheran pastors, and they were on their way to a pastor convention, conference in Denver, and they just drove by him. But there was this guy. He had tattoos and a leather jacket, and he was going to the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, and he stopped and helped the guy. Tattoos, leather jacket, the whole fittings, everything. You know he's going to Sturgis, that big bike rally, 600,000 bikers. And he stopped and helped the man. Took him to prompt care, first care. Had a tow truck take him to a, to a mechanic he knew. Paid to fix the car, put him up in a hotel. Gave him gift certificates to eat out. And sent a taxi there the next morning to pick him up when his car was repaired. That man put forth a maximum effort. It just wasn't something minimum. Now, if you're familiar with this story, what's the story? The parable of the what? Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan was a doer, a thorough doer. On vacation, and we found out um, that the shower head snapped off for our shower, so everybody had to take baths. And so I got back and I called the plumber. So plumber, have to fix that. He said, okay, fine. And then we had some leaky faucets for the shower. He goes, well, I'll upgrade that. I'll put in something that's top of the line. And he had to go through the wall to get there. So he set up a, something special for us to get to it that looks really nice. He did a really nice job. And we had to get some new toilets. He said, well, some of your lines are leaking. They're rusty. And you have to replace some of the valves. And he did everything wonderful. He even put down caulk. He went above and beyond it was a thorough service, sort of like that Harley-Davidson motorcycle driver. 
did the maximum, did something thorough. Did you see on the news this past week? A FedEx driver was driving by a house. It was a very windy day. Apparently a flagpole bent over. An American flag there was laying on the ground. He wasn't even taking a package to the house. He got out, took the flag off its pole, off, off, the, off the rope, and he followed the flag respectfully and put it in the front door. How do we know that happened? Because the people who owned the house had a what? A camera in their door. He did a thorough job, much like the plumber, not like the Christian college football team or the priests or Lutheran pastors, but the Harley-Davidson guy on the way to Sturgis. He did a very thorough job. So last week, you and I heard that we are called to be salt and light of the world. And that sounds, what do you mean be salt and light? You know, I'm a human being. Well, I think what Jesus is saying to us is, I want you to be thorough. I want you to do what is maximum. I don't want you to do what's minimum. I want you to be very thorough. Be like that Harley guy. Be like the FedEx driver. Be like the Good Samaritan, who, by the way, in that parable is me. So what does that mean? Well, our Lord gives to us the Ten Commandments. And in that sermon, Jesus says, if you want to be salt and light, be a maximum Ten Commandment doer. Don't be a minimum doer. Be a maximum doer. Be thorough about it. So I'm going to talk to you about the Ten Commandments. How do you view the Ten Commandments? Well, I don't know the Ten Commandments, so I can't really say. I can't really say how I think about the Ten Commandments. I don't know them very well. So let's go over them real quickly, all right? You shall have no other. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in what? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it what? Honor your father and do not, do not kill or murder. That's right. Do not commit what? Do not what? Very good. Do not bear false witness against your... And do not what? Covet your neighbor's things, possessions, or neighbor's people, the Ten Commandments. So we ignore those. To some people, that's another set of rules I have to follow. Don't we have enough rules in our lives? Every week I get two or three forms I have to fill out and send to this insurance company or here, send here or here or do something. I have to go back to Illinois to get my taxes done. Okay, all sorts of rules. I have to take a big bundle of paper and stuff and get my taxes done. To some people, the Ten Commandments are just another set of rules. Some people would say, to be honest, I don't plan on keeping them. <laughs> I, have no, I have no plan in my life to keep the Ten Commandments. I think they're fine. They're not for me. Okay? Some people, it's a cultural attitude. Do the minimum. What can I get away with? Ever worked with people that did the minimum? Go to school with students who just did the what? Minimum? Get a D minus, fine. Still graduate, right? Some people, that's how I see the Ten Commandments. Do the minimum. I'm going to get by and get past and go through it. But for us children of God, the Ten Commandments begin to describe my behavior. The Ten Commandments aren't so much about rules, but they begin to describe what we're about, what we hold to, what we cherish, what our life entails. And to Jesus... The Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God. Why? Because the Ten Commandments are about loving God and loving one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the Ten Commandments are really about relationships. They're relational. The vertical aspect, God and me. The horizontal aspect, me and my neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments on which all the commandments hinge. That's what Jesus says. So we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is a master and thorough teacher. And he opens up the commandments 
The depth of commandments to Jesus and describes their relationship and love to each other. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and like each one's an egg and he cracks it open and lets it pour out. To Jesus, the Ten Commandments is a beautiful smelling flower that we have in our backseat and we take into our kitchen and we just let the aroma fill it. So what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he explodes the commandments. He reveals what they're about. He, he lets them breathe. Uh, he, he, he lets them flow out. He shares the maximum meaning of the commandment. Now, when Jesus teaches about the commandment, he has a procedure he uses. And his procedure is this. First of all, he said, you've heard it was said. I know what all you people heard. We watch the media, you watch the news, you listen to, uh, you listen to your friends, you talk to your loved ones, you heard it was said. And then Jesus speaks the Old Testament, then picks up on a wrongful interpretation. And then Jesus says, but I tell you. Whenever Jesus says, but I tell you, he's speaking as God. He doesn't say, well, this is what the people at the tavern say, and this is what the media says, and this is what my aunt says. He says, but I tell you, I am speaking as God now. I am telling you. And sometimes Jesus uses over-exaggerations and hyperboles to make his point. So Jesus picks up on what people heard. He picks up on the wrongful interpretation. Then he says, I tell you, and he opens up the Ten Commandments. So today we're talking about three top. Well, it's not so much about the don'ts, but the do. Not so much about the don'ts, but the do. And so we're going to talk about three topics. What? Murder, sex, divorce. Not my topics, they're in Matthew 5, okay? So we're going to talk about that, open up the Ten Commandments. So let's start with murder. What commandment? You shall not kill, right? You got it, you shall not kill. Okay, what commandment? The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Now I don't know about you, but I never murdered anyone. Have you? I haven't. You know, I went to Menards the other day and said, can I check out your trunk? I said, oh, thank goodness I took the dead body out yesterday. No, I didn't. Said, Go check in the trunk. Okay? Nobody is buried behind our shed, right? I never shot anyone, poisoned anyone. I never killed anyone. I don't think anybody here has either. Nobody here has, okay? But what Jesus says is he says this. You've heard it said, do not murder, you fall into judgment. But I tell you that anyone who curses their brother or sister is angry at someone in their heart is already what? murdered that person. That's right. Most of us have not murdered anyone unless we've been angry at someone. You ever been angry at somebody? You ever cursed someone? You ever want nothing to do with what? Someone? Jesus says, if I harbor those hateful feelings in my heart, then I'm guilty of what? Murder. Samuel Clemens said this, I didn't go to the funeral, but I approved of it. Samuel Clemens said this, I never killed anyone, but I read their obituary with a smile on my face. And Jesus says, if I harbor hatred in my heart towards someone, I've murdered them. You ever want to tase someone? Walk away from someone? Somebody make you very mad? Jesus says, if I harbor those feelings in my heart, it's the same as being a murderer. Now Jesus over-exaggerates and says, listen, be thrown in jail, you have to pay every last penny. But what Jesus is getting at is when we murder someone, it's just not physical murder, it's our hatred and love toward them. You see, if Jesus has forgiven me all my sins, how can I not forgive my neighbor? If Jesus loves me unconditionally, how can I not love the person who gets on my nerve? 
If Jesus forgives us for many times doing minimum jobs, how can I be angry at someone if they do one or two minimum jobs for you and me? That's really hard. So what Jesus does say is do reconcile. You're upset with someone, someone's upset with you, go talk to the person. I appreciate when people say, Pastor, what about this? How about this? Have you thought of this? This happened. Thank you. Do settle matters quickly. Right away, go talk to the person. Get off your chest. Deal with it. Do forgive. God's forgiven me all my sins. How can I not forgive you these four sins? God's forgiven all my sins. And do realize that my relationship with others is tied directly to my relationship with God. How can I say God is loving, all loving, when I can't be loving to you? They're tied together. Friends in Christ, people say, Pastor, I'm not sure I should come to the Lord's Supper. Why not? Well, I'm really angry with someone. Someone's really angry with me. I'm wondering if I should come to the Lord's Supper. Because doesn't Jesus say that if you're angry toward your brother, leave your gift at the altar and first go make what? Peace? I think that's, that's true. I don't think what Jesus is saying is that you're forbidden from the Lord's Supper. What Jesus is getting at is come to the Lord's Supper, be sorry for your sin, be forgiven, then seek what? Reconciliation. See, add to the heart. Jesus is saying, I'm not forbidding you to go to the Lord's Supper. If you're really angry and mad at someone, come to the Lord's Supper, ask God to forgive you and give you strength to reconcile. So yes, if someone's very angry with you, you're very angry at someone, come to the Lord's Supper, be forgiven, and seek what? Reconciliation. Do you see how Jesus cracks open, do not murder? See, do not murder is more than just physical death. Let me love and give you passion and grace as Christ has given to me. Next topic. Sex, all right. No, it's Okay. Sex. What commandment? What commandment? Sixth, shall not commit adultery. Now, somebody once asked Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, you ever committed adultery? And Jimmy Carter said, I lusted after a woman. So what's the answer? Yes. And so Jesus says this. Adultery is just more than cheating. It's lust. Now, in American society, if I'd ask somebody what adultery is, they'd say cheating on your spouse. Well, that's a pretty, that's an abusive form of marriage, but adultery really is sex outside of marriage. Didn't God say, in the beginning God made them male and female, and the man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his what? Wife, and the two shall become what? One. So to Jesus, Jesus opens up the meaning of adultery. It means lust. It's what my eye looks at. It's what my hand touches. See, Jesus gets at the root of adultery. See, adultery usually begins in the eye, what my eye looks at and I want to have it. Or maybe I touch somebody's back or I touch their hand and I'm aroused. So Jesus looks for the purity of heart. It's what, my, what saturates my mind. Friends in Christ, you don't need me to tell you that we live in a very sexualized society. We cannot buy a burger, we cannot buy a car, we can't buy a motorcycle, we can't buy a beverage unless someone in a bikini is selling it to us. And even though you watch a show that's decent, the commercials are going to be filled with other shows that have innuendos and sexual suggestions. We live in a very highly sexualized society. That's just how it is. So what Jesus says is be aware of that. Be aware of that. Remember, adultery just isn't the act. It's what my eye touches when my hand touches, my eye looks at. So do what? Do keep purity of heart. Do, sorry, 
do avoid those things. Do take notice of what the eye focuses on and desire for hands to touch. So when the Victoria Secret magazine comes to the mail, fold it up and put it in the trash, right? If you like White Sands vacation, learn to walk with your head down, right? I've talked to Christian men who said, I don't even get the swimsuit edition for Sports Illustrated. You know, Sports Illustrated, stories about why the Browns always lose and pictures, right? Guys like that. I talked to Christian men who said, I refuse that issue, and Sports Illustrated sends me another issue at the end of my term. Those are things that Jesus is talking about. Do notice what the eye sees and the desire of the hand of touch. Do take seriously the consequences of sinning. Now Jesus says this, if your eye should cause you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. Does Jesus really mean that? Jesus say, Peter, I saw you look at that brunette. Get over here. Out comes your eye. Matthew, you just touch that redhead. Get over here. You're touching the arm. Off goes your hand. No. What Jesus is saying, take seriously the consequences of sin. God takes sin seriously so much God had to die on the cross for it all. So when it comes to sex, it's much more than the act. It's also what takes place in my heart. What my eye looks at, what causes lust, what my hand touches. Last topic. What? Divorce. What commandment? Sixth, you shall not what? Commit adultery. This is a very touchy subject, a very sensitive subject. It's a very painful subject. Now, Jesus says, you heard it was said that in Moses' day, a man would get a certificate of divorce. Now, this was really a bad practice in the Old Testament. But if you were a man in the Old Testament, you sort of got sick and tired of your wife. She's not as cute as the gal 20 years younger. Her meals aren't that good. She's not as much fun. I'm not sure I want to be married to anymore. You go to some people and get a certificate of divorce and say, on your way. Now, Jesus didn't put up with that nonsense. Jesus said, you heard it was said, they usually get a certificate of divorce, but I tell you in the beginning it wasn't that way. God made them male and female. Man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they shall be one. Do not divorce. Only two reasons, biblical reasons for divorce, right? What are they? Sexual immorality and abandonment. Sexual immorality, a person's granted divorce, and abandonment, a person's suffered a divorce. Now, I know painfully there's other reasons to get divorced. Someone abuses substances, they're very violent, they're very abusive, they're non loving over time, and they do great harm to their spouse. But divorce isn't God's plan, but sometimes it's necessary. It's a very touchy subject. But just because someone has a spouse who commits adultery on them doesn't mean there can't be forgiveness and reconciliation. See, what Jesus is getting at, well, let's go here. Contrary to American society of no-fault divorce. Now, in Illinois, there's no-fault divorce. Is that true in Ohio? You can't have a no-fault divorce. If there's a divorce, somebody has to be at what? It has to be. In marriage, you're committed to each other. Get divorced, that's not taking place. Maybe someone's more guilty than the other person. They're both equally guilty. But divorces take place because someone's at what? Fault. That's like saying there's a sinless sinner. It doesn't happen. Okay? There is fault in divorce. See, the problem with divorce is that people get hurt. Who's hurt more with divorce? Little boys or little girls? Can you guess? Boys are always harmed more with divorce than girls. Divorce causes harm. So what Jesus is saying is, husbands, 
No longer this dumb certificate of divorce thing. Jesus put an end to it. That's why we don't know about it. Thank goodness. Husbands, be responsible for your marriage. Do take marriage seriously. Do understand the severity of what? Divorce. I'm not here to give a guilt trip to anybody. There is redemption and grace and mercy with Jesus. Do understand that. Do remember, and by the way, this is in our marriage liturgy, do remember what God has joined together, let no one what? Put asunder. These are things we're called to do. Friends in Christ, you see how Jesus opens up all the commandments for what we're to do? Murder, love your neighbor. Sex, be careful what you look at. Divorce, take marriage seriously. After early service, someone came up to me and said, Pastor, your sermon was filled with doo-doos. I said, yes, that's right. You listen carefully. Thank you. Do do this, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but when I wrote this sermon, I got pretty beat up because sometimes I get angry at people. Sometimes my eye has difficulty what it looks like. Sometimes I get angry with others. Sometimes I don't take marriage as seriously as I need to, and I got beat up. But Jesus also said this in his sermon. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Who are those in poor in spirit? Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help. Lord, you got me. I'm guilty. Lord, I mean, this is me. I really blew it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit who say, Lord, forgive me. I'm guilty. And Jesus says, blessed are you, for you'll see the face of God. Blessed are you because I forgive you. I forgive you. I redeem you. Martin Luther said this. The law is for the proud. The gospel is for who? The broken heart, poor in spirit. Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died for all of us. He died for you and me. For the only people on earth. Martin Luther said this. I need to hear the gospel every day because I tend to what? What's a gospel? Died for you freely. I forgive you freely. It's finished for you. My body and blood for you. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're made whole with me. Heaven is your gift for you, for me. What a joy and blessing that is. So friends in Christ, by God's grace, redeemed children, God calls us not to be minimalists, but to be thorough, extreme in loving him and keeping those commandments. The full commandment, you know. Forgive. Look, watch what your eye looks for. Hold up the estate of marriage. Remember, I forgive and redeem you. How about this for a closing thought? Blessed is a person who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Where they do, they prosper. And all God's people say... We rise.